welcome on we're doing the full 15 and 60 this time i want to remind everyone to tune in for the twitter nba show tomorrow special edition on monday at 8 eastern and 5 pacific Cavs warriors to this season at martin luther king day special and then also hoping to have a, a pretty special guest tomorrow as, as a first timer on the show you'll uh so check your feed for that tomorrow night but now uh, we've got to get into uh, the 15 and 60 we're sponsored today by a new sponsor hymns which i will tell you about hymns.com slash cap space providing medical grade solutions for men's health issues from the comfort of your home all right let's get started with uh, liam's team this week an interesting one i i was excited to assign the minnesota timberwolves to liam since they are surging they're a bit of the team du jour what we got for these guys liam? sure so minnesota timberwolves so far they're five and two since the last 15 and 60 29 and 16 overall they're fifth in net rating fourth in offensively and defensively they're 20th which is way better than they've been uh at the start of the year and we'll get into that but first i wanted to talk a little bit about how they perform with teague out he i think he had a uh, knee sprain it was a small one so he only missed seven games but in those games that he was out they were you know plus 11 net rating overall and the defense was much better tyus jones specifically had a plus 24 net rating basically uh, the offense was 113 and the defense was down near 90 and just on the season the, the starting lineup you know has been much better with Jones in rather than Teague with in 480 possessions with Jones in with the rest of the starters they have a 30 net rating which seems almost impossible and they're, they're very good with Teague too they have a 7.3 net rating but I just wanted to get your guys thoughts on whether they should you know look into you know playing Jones a little bit more with the starters whether it's it, does, it doesn't necessarily need to be Jones into the starting lineup but maybe like pulling Teague a little bit earlier so Jones can get some run with the starters and Teague can play with second units I just wanted to get your guys thoughts on you know that that idea given the contract status it certainly would be difficult to bring Teague off the bench but uh, I do agree that Jones's fit is a little better I think he provides something that they really don't have at all which is forcing turnovers he's a great steals guy and it doesn't quite have the experience of Teague Teague's got a little bit more strength but both of them are kind of vulnerable uh, to bigger players uh, if they they decide to, to go right at him but no I, I like what Jones brings I think from a spot-up perspective they both are pretty effective um I think Jones might bring them a little bit more pace in transition but the greater issue is one that I think you're about to highlight which is he could really help on the second unit uh that uh right Jeff and I, I think it has to do a lot with just the, coming into the year this team had so many guys that had a high usage rate that would get we're gonna have to adjust and if you look at how those usage rates are panning out I think Towns is fourth on the team so you definitely want to get him more looks and Jamal Crawford has an incredibly high usage off the off the bench so looking at some of the numbers when when Teague's on the floor without Butler in the game his usage rate jumps up significantly so I, I think you know Teague's a relatively efficient player but he's more efficient than Crawford so it would be useful for those second units for him to soak up some of those possessions um, and also lower Crawford's usage and you know maybe make him more efficient with asking him to do less and then also better distribute some of the shots of the starting lineup. Something that I'd like to keep an eye on with that I, I think that the way you do it is you don't pull Teague as the starter because of all the complex emotional stuff but if you say hey we need you on the second unit those units have been hemorrhaging points you can be a play a bigger part there and so do the idea that I've had 
advocated for with DeMarcus Cousins for a long time of start, but you start and finish, but you play a lot with second unit. I think that's just where they have to be for right now. And one thing to watch is that it hasn't been a big sample size, only about 360 possessions, but they have hemorrhaged points when those two guys have played together, Teague and Crawford, defensively. They have about a 120 defensive rating during those minutes, but you can get to some lineups that I think can be at least a little better. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind them just playing Jones more and Crawford fewer minutes. Um, but let's get to the thing that everyone is really excited about, which is uh, this team defense. Numerically, they seem to have turned the corner a little bit with the seventh best defensive rating in the NBA over the last 15 games and with how good their offense has been. I mean, I think we haven't talked enough probably about how their offense has really exceeded expectations perhaps uh, this year, even with uh, some of the spacing issues uh, that they have. Uh, but Liam, what's up with this defense? Is it for real? Well, I think they, they've certainly improved. Not that it's a good defense anymore, but I think they're definitely turning the corner to average, which is you know a huge step up from where they were in the beginning of the year. And I think some, some of the differences over the last, uh, you referenced the defensive rating over the last 15 games, uh, there's been you know a couple of smaller changes and just guys in, improving incrementally. A, a big change that's really helped them out is Shabazz Muhammad has fallen completely out of the rotation. And th- those aren't a ton of minutes, but in the minutes he was in, he was getting killed defensively with a 123 defensive rating with him on the court. So that'll definitely help their second units. And just guys overall are just playing a little bit better. I think the time without Teague definitely helped with Jones on the floor. I think he's a very strong defensive player. He He's great at getting in a stance, sliding with his man. He gets through screens really well, and he's got a really good motor, tremendous hands. You mentioned before, he's got a huge steal rate. So I think he, he's actually a very good defensive guard. And and Teague's also improved over the last couple games that I watched. I thought he was better. Not that he's not still a liability because he does get beat on some switches in the post and stuff like that. But if he can just get to you know more passable than he has been in the past, that's a big difference. And Towns, although obviously he still has some, you know, miscues and, you know, blown assignments here and there, I think he's been a little bit more consistent as far as not being just a total sieve. And he did pretty good on some switches against some guys in the games I saw against McCollum, against Paul George, and a little better rim protection. And, and again, he still has, you know, a couple plays throughout the game where he'll blow it and he'll be way out of position. And you'll be asking yourself what the hell he was doing on that play. But th- those plays are a lot fewer than they were earlier in the year, especially, I think, uh, the Sixers game in December he he got absolutely torched by them so if if he can just get you know a little better each game I think that's huge and, and another thing is they, they've been incorporating a lot oh sure well let, let me let me hit uh, on Towns what you said there first you know I, I saw their game against the Blazers tonight I thought he did have some pretty nice plays where you know plays like switching out hard on a dribble handoff late in the clock he did another play where they're in rotation and he managed to stop a layup from Damian Lillard who was open under the basket he rotated over there hard and force a shot clock violation on that play so we are seeing more plays that evince some effort from him he still jogs back in transition I think too frequently although they are at least cleaning up some of the worst parts of that transition defense um and I thought it was interesting listening to Zach Lowe's podcast with Jim Peterson over the weekend Jim saying essentially that you know they what they told him was hey you're not giving enough effort just go jump at everything like help over help all the time we want you to just be more active and we feel like once you get into that kind of a mode and teach yourself like all right I have to be active throughout a possession yeah you might be over helping but at least now it's easier to kind of calm that down as opposed to hey you know you're not even trying on these possessions and so it seems like you know Carl it, it was a surprise that he was so bad defensively both because of his tools and the fact that he you know really wants to win he's a cerebral kind of guy off the floor uh, and so you know that's part of I think the improvement that we see now is it going to last uh, in the long term uh, we'll have to see about that but he 
does have fewer plays where he just kind of stands there flat-footed or like barely jumps and swipes at the ball which we had seen where he's not in a stance which we had seen so much of uh, over the past you know year and a half right and I I definitely agree with that in in the three games I saw I I didn't see nearly I I can't think of any you know effort plays that he really blew off the top of my head they're most mostly like awareness based which he struggles in but I mean the only thing you could point to is the defensive rebounding over the last couple games was bad but they were playing against some really good offensive rebounding teams in Oklahoma City and the Knicks and Portland so I I definitely think he's improving in that area And, and another point I wanted to touch on is that I think it's to be expected that they'd struggle a little bit coming into the year just with the lack of continuity I think four of their six guys and minutes played are with on their first year with the team so I, I think they're starting to gel in together and understand the rotations better and just a little more trust on defense and that's definitely paying off yeah so so what else have you seen outside of towns and by the way you had this note in here thank you for not mentioning it after I said that oh they need to, uh Jones because they don't get that many seals they actually uh, surprisingly enough you wouldn't think so other than Butler but Teague actually is a pretty good steals guy Gorgie Jang actually is a pretty good steals guy as it turns out Wiggins is you know he's okay he's not terrible uh so they actually are one of the better steals teams in the league so I apologize for impugning them in that respect but uh, other than Towns uh, what else has stood out to you about well them like you said they're doing a good job of uh generating turnovers and then also on top of that they're not fouling a ton which you'd think a, a defense generating that many turnovers would be a little over aggressive but they're finding a good balance between the two and it what's interesting is I think they're taking more game it's a very aggressive defensive style they're playing so they like to ice those side pick and rolls oh go ahead yeah in contrast to you know Thibodeau's right initial and reputation. well I, I, he still has some of his you know similar principles I think they're they still ice you know side ball screens and stuff like that but the the weak side wing that's stunting at that big when he pick and pops and the it, yes that T, yes, T got that you know, several yeah. steals just going all out rather than just you know most defenses just stun at him he just went for the pass altogether and and they've got a couple other guys that are pretty good at just reading the floor Ch- Jones we mentioned earlier Butler is really good at just zoning up on the weak side and reading passing lanes so that that is something I agree with you that I didn't expect to see going in but they've done a great job at that and I I, I think you know oh I want to mention there was one beautiful weak side steal that Jimmy Butler had in the game today where it was like I didn't even uh, it was it wasn't an obvious pass like those are the ones that you see guys get and he just kind of had a read on it and got a hand on it he didn't even get that clean and then just sprinted down the floor somebody passed him the ball and he got a steal and those sort of plays and I want to ask kind of a memory question for you guys because as I was remembering it before I looked it up I thought the Wolves early in the season were really genuinely awful in transition defense like they were bottom five in the league right now they're 20th and my memory is saying that's an improvement off of where they were but I'm not totally sure I'm right yeah it struck out to me just on film as I mentioned with Towns not getting back I mean he kind of does this like saunter back on defense you rarely see him sprint the floor and people are like oh you know like he's a big center I'm like yeah but have you ever seen him like how fast he moves when he like cuts down the lane uh, on the pick and roll you know I mean like the guy can run when he has it in his head and obviously they're playing a ton of minutes and so I think you would have to point to that as another reason for their success as well is just that their good players play a lot more really than just about any other team um but yeah other than the the increased aggressiveness anything else that stands well, out i think to you just all, i try to Lee? dig into the numbers a little bit more and just I, I don't think you know this stretch has been that fluky defensively normally you get you know when a team has such a drastic improvement you 
you'll see, you know, a weird opponent three-point percentage or free throw percentage, and those are right around, like, league average. So I, I think it's, you know, they're, I don't think they're top 10 in defense, you know, obviously, but I, I think it, it's reasonable to expect this defensive improvement to, you know, somewhat stay somewhat stable. And I, I don't know, where, where do you guys picture them finishing the year defensively? Yeah, I don't think they're going to be seventh the way they have been. I think they'll end up, you know, maybe 12 or 13. That's probably in line with their personnel and so and with the way their offense has been playing that's all that they need so this is a team that we were critical of some of their moves in the offseason Taj Gibson not a guy who spaces the floor takes the occasional corner three but is really spaced out to there and teams you know are not too concerned about him then they'll go with Jang uh Bielita has been out but he's returned a little bit recently hasn't played as much yet uh so they don't really ever have a floor spacing four man Towns can space but you don't necessarily want him doing that all the time uh Wiggins and Butler not great spot up shooters Teague is is okay in that area uh Crawford is you know he's all right there so they don't really they don't have a guy that you look at as some awesome shooter that we just can't leave on the perimeter but nonetheless they basically just bludgeon their way to great results with power and with just the individual brilliance of these players right and I think damned. um their, their shot profile hasn't been very good they take the third most mid-range shots in the NBA so their effective field goal precision isn't very good but the, the other three four factors you know turnovers offensive rebounds getting to the line they're very good at their top five in all of those so that's definitely you know juice their offense up and despite not being a, a good three-point shooting team they're, they're terrible and you know frequency and you know three-point percentage off those shots they found a way to really be an effective offense and surprisingly fourth I certainly didn't expect them to be there and uh, just to touch on their transition offense I think Danny mentioned them pushing more and that's something that I, I even the numbers like everybody says they need to push more and run more with their athleticism but the number the numbers definitely bear that out they're second in transition points per play but just 26th in transition and frequency and in the in the games I was watching I thought they did you know ran fast breaks really well and they've got Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler and Jeff Teague just flying up and down the court and that they could be really good at that so that's something to take a look at for a way they can you know improve their offense you also noted that they shoot 68 percent at the room and that's remarkable considering how little spacing there is on the floor that they still have these great finishers who are able to do damage in the paint very accurately and you mentioned them being second in transition points per play well you're probably probably going to have if you're really getting out and running and getting layups that still is going to be more efficient than shooting like a trail three or or a wing three in transition those are still good shots better than you're going to get on average in the half court but those do probably lower your transition points per play as opposed to you know because when you're running you're basically getting layups and dunks or or you're getting threes and so since they don't really have that many guys who are going to jack threes in transition that's probably my hypothesis as to why that transition points per play is so high uh, i'd agree with that and uh just one more note i wanted to make is uh taj gibson uh a guy i i didn't think that was a, the greatest signing coming into the year and he's by far exceeded expectations for this year with a career high true shooting percentage uh 62 percent and he's shooting 74 percent at the rim and for a guy that i didn't think he was a very strong post-up threat in the games i watched he was really doing a great job when he got switched on to guards and just you know putting them in the basket he he powered through paul george for a post-up and he, he's one of the few guys i think with, with the way the league's going for four men getting smaller it's it's valuable to have a power option that can really put guys under the hoop i think you've mentioned in the past that's just something that Derek favors is really good at and taj gibson too yeah david 
West is another guy who does that a lot too where really when he's being guarded by a, sort of a combo forward on the other team or on a switch he's just like all right my first move is I'm going right through you and you are just get, gonna have to stop me and you're not gonna be able to do it. both those guys have long arms and you know have maintained their athleticism pretty well considering their age so yeah and for the other thing for Gibson too I, when he was on the Bulls they would post him up and there were far fewer threats on that Bulls team later on you know when he that 13-14 season when I thought he should have won six man of the year he posted up a, a lot but I thought of him as a, an opportunity double back then because he is not a good passer and he kind of you know will bring the ball down and can get stripped but now because in theory he's really the least threatening offensive player in their starting five teams aren't doubling him I think they probably should more often frankly because I don't think he's gotten any better at passing out of the post but yeah like you mentioned especially on, on switches he can really just power through guys and they're so concerned about the other players that he's able to be effective there absolutely and, and to touch on that um you're right his passing hasn't really improved the same assist percentage you know turnover percentage about the same so I, I definitely agree that'd be a good idea for defenses to adopt that tactic because right now he's getting 1.16 point per possession on post-ups so that's you know the defense isn't winning by allowing him to get those opportunities and he's been smart in the way he's done it where he only really posts up when he has a big advantage so that's something that it's a it's a huge boon for their offense for Taj Gibson to be an offensive threat because it, it was tough envisioning him being that you know when he hadn't been a huge threat throughout his off throughout his career up until now so men's health is a field where frankly there's a lot of bullshit around I think probably like back in the day before there were good spam filters like 95 percent of spam emails had to deal with either hair loss or sexual function so there's just a, a lot of crap out there for men who are looking for real health solutions but now there's forhims.com which is a one-stop shop for hair loss skincare and sexual wellness for men it's actual real doctors real prescriptions and this is a product that for me in terms of hair loss appeals to me i actually started losing my hair when i was 25 i'm 37 now and so after doing some research which was kind of difficult at the time with all the crap that was out there i decided to start taking propecia because it works better to avoid losing your hair to begin with i was didn't want to be suffering from hair loss in my late 20s early 30s and 66 percent of men are in the same boat that start losing their hair by age 35 and i can tell you that it worked for me to use propecia is now available in a generic as a prophylactic to keep my hair i really have not lost very much at all over the 12 years since i started taking it but now it's much easier to do that i had to go to the doctor and get a prescription and i'd have to go back every year and it was just a pain and sometimes i'd go a few months without it because i didn't have time to get to the doctor just for that but if you go to hymns at forhims.com slash capspace it is that url as i did actually last month you don't have to go to the doctor you don't have to wait in the waiting room you don't have to pay an astronomical price at the pharmacy now i'm getting my propecia for just 28 dollars a month so yeah for 300 dollars a year or so to not lose your hair well worth it in my opinion and you know, some listeners might be wondering like oh like you know that's pretty personal like why are you talking about this and, and i actually had a little bit of trepidation about taking hymns on as a sponsor but i realized like i've made this recommendation to many of my friends that this worked for me and that they should try it when they started losing their 
their hair. And so I actually think that this is like a good product that can really help a lot of people. And so I wasn't going to let my vanity of like, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say that I use this medication. It's a smart idea. I think you'd be stupid not to do it, frankly, when we all know what a difference it makes to have your hair versus not having your hair. Like that's just the reality of our society. So once again, the way to get started with hymns for hymns, forhims.com slash capspace is the URL, forhims.com slash capspace. And that'll get you a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just $5 while supplies last. And you can find which of their products works for you, whether it's a DHT blocking shampoo, the Propecia generic equivalent that I use, or any of their other products. That's forhims.com slash capspace. All right, Danny, I will not ask you to share any uh, aspects of your health. Uh, instead, I will ask you to talk about the Sacramento Kings. Well, I guess you probably would actually rather share some some details of your no, health. No, I wouldn't. Than discuss <laughs> well, I'd, rather, I'd rather discuss the Kings. The, <laughs> the, the Kings are 13-29, and 29, uh, 1-5 since the last 15-60. That one win was hosting the Denver Nuggets. They are, this is a rare triple, so we should appreciate it for what it is. They are 30th in net rating at negative 10.3. They are 30th in offense, and they are 30th in defense. And they said we'd never see another triple crown winner again. Didn't we see one of those? I can't remember. I don't care about horse racing. Oh, uh, yeah. It was like Miguel Cabrera Something like, like that. five years ago. Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about horses. God. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess horses, too. Horses. Horse racing is probably more interesting than baseball. At least it, it lasts, you know, like one one hundredth as long. So the Kings, I watched uh, bits and pieces of the, a couple of their recent games just because they're one of those teams that on the Pacific, you know, Pacific time zone that airs late and they've been playing a lot of games in California against the LA teams in particular the last week. And there were some encouraging developments. I thought they played the Clippers well, particularly in the game in Sacramento on Thursday, which was the day after their big win, the Clippers big win over the Warriors. But and they got Blake Griffin back anyway. The, I thought the Kings played well in that game. And the, one of the big changes that they deserve credit for is that they really slowed down Lou Williams. He had like 21 points in the first half. And then they just, they put Garrett Temple on him for periods of time. I thought Garrett Temple did a nice job. I think George Hill was on him a little bit and they slowed him down. And that game ended in total Kings fashion where they actually got, so they were, they were down two and they actually forced the turnover on the trap. It was great that they did it. They forced the turnover and then Costa Kufos, bless his heart. He thought he was just making the easy pass to the point guard to get the ball up for the potential game tying possession and I believe it was Jameel Wilson, might have been Tyrone Wallace, just ran right in there, got the ball, and dunked it before any of the Kings could get back, yeah. and it was just... Must have been Wallace, because Wilson wasn't on the team. Oh, that's right, that yeah, point. so it was it was Tyrone Wallace, and yeah, and so, you, so you're just sitting there going, oh, like, like the, that, that's the Kings, you know, like, when they do things right, and they have done some things right during this stretch, it still just gets pulled away from them at the last second, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing for them long term, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's better to, in this, the way the league climate is right now, to if you're going to be bad to just fall all the way down. But, you know, I like seeing those moments with this team when they actually defend well. The Kali Steins had some nice games recently. And the other big development has been, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich has had a, an underrated year for them. Yeah, they have uh, been going to him a, a little bit more. And he's proven to be a more adept pick and roll player than perhaps you would have thought for just like this white European shooter guy. 1.1 points per possession going to the jump shot out of pick and roll. And the pick 
pick and roll comprises 31 percent of his possessions he's also at 38 percent on threes which you know not a crazy percentage but certainly good enough to need to be guarded out there we've seen a lot of europeans struggle with the deeper nba3 at least in their first year and also very encouraging to see his finishing around the rim doesn't get there a ton but when he does he is able to get his shot up and not get it blocked shooting 65 percent at the rim which is outstanding for a two guard and really shooting well from just about every area particularly the mid-range and a lot of this is uh, those jumpers out of pick and roll this is an unsustainable amount but he's 47 out of 89 which is 53 percent on twos outside the paint which is pretty solid and then he's taking almost all of his three-pointers from above the break which makes that 38 percent look a little bit better only taking 16 three-pointers from the corners all year he is mostly operating up there and then he also has been coming off some screens away from the ball he's not like the quickest release guy in the world he doesn't have like that quick hop to catch the ball quickly and elevate it over the defense he's more like a one-two guy when he catches the ball but he has shown some pretty good footwork like if he gets a, a screen that he can flare behind he can catch it and step back behind the three-point line he's capable of making jump shots with his momentum going away from the hoop which is always a, a big skill for him so definitely a guy i think that might even be their best offensive player at this point it, uh, zach randolph has been pretty good for them as well but he's right up there and a guy who i think deserved more reps now you'll recall that bogdanovich signed a three-year 27 million dollar contract this year as a under i guess we can call it the miritich rule where after it's been three years since you were drafted as a first round pick you're no longer subject to the rookie scale they use cap space on him what do you think of that deal now danny great job by the kings to front load that deal especially considering they're they're having cap space that they're leaving out there right now so that it's 9.5 this year then nine then about eight and a half in the last year i would say that's a little a little rich for it because that's like a, a, a good bench player i think is a good calibrator for that because 13 14 is about what i think of for starters so it's a step down from that he is 25 so he'll adjust a year of improvement just adjusting to the system will help and then the other big thing that you have why i think his contract is is closer to reasonable i'd say it's a slight negative but a very slight one is because then you have his restricted rights at the end of that and yes the qualifying offer will be high because the base salary is high but he that will be the rest of his prime in all likelihood if he was good enough to get an offer sheet and so i think the idea of writer first refusal there will also compress his value i think that's a good thing for the kings and it's not like they're scratching every penny i mean they always it's always sometimes a challenge for them to spend every dollar they have they have four and a half million sitting out there right now so i'm pretty good with it uh, last bit of king's news here mike bratz uh, their longtime scout uh, and assistant gm uh he and the organization agreed to part rate ways in the last week bratz actually i believe predated even pete delessandro's regime back in 2013 and you know just kind of a, a pure scout uh, kind of guy and for whatever reason uh, the team decided to, to move on from him maybe he did not see eye to eye with Ken Catanella and Brandon Williams, who both came in in recent years, it seemed like bringing in two other assistant GMs. Bratz was also at the rank of assistant GM. They also got Peja Stoyakovic, who's kind of a right-hand man for Vlade Tivat. So it seems like there just wasn't as much of a place for Bratz in this new front office. I think we're ready to move on to Memphis. The Grizzlies are 13 and 28, one and three. They haven't had a heavy schedule since last 15 and 60. Negative 3.6 net rating puts them 25th. They are 26th in offense, 19 
19th in defense and they're not going to make the playoffs i think the question that you posed which i thought was a very interesting one by the way can we stop real quick here so they have basically the same records as as the kings and they're the 25th offense or or the 26th offense the 19th defense and the kings have just gotten so lucky like they would be on track to be one of the worst teams of all time right now like they should be and when you consider like the amount of money that was spent on guy like veterans to come in and actually help this is why the whole thing about like the process in philly made sense because the kings could be churning through other roster spots and like those vets that they got aren't making them any better like they're one of the worst teams of all well, time and they're right now. the 30th offense and 30 and they're not tradable ridiculously like bad. george hill george right. hill's doing a little bit better i had totally lost track this is one of the things watching their games that at one point he was i think he was first in three-point shooting percentage for the season he is now dropped because he missed a couple but he's at 44 percent on the year but he's still not a big positive contributor a lot of money next year than that very light guarantee for the final year zebo's making a ton of money vince carter you know maybe somebody be interested just because he's one of the few expiring contracts i don't know what vince carter wants but that's another challenge here is that they it's not just that they filled up roster spots with vets it's that they don't really have any other option now that they've committed all right so this has been a great uh section on the memphis grizzlies let's move on uh, all right now i guess we have to do the the grizzlies uh and i guess we'll try and be positive about the 13 and 28 grizzlies um to just see is there a silver lining of this memphis season things that actually have gotten better that give some modicum of hope for the future i think i think actually there are a lot of like the bright line of this should be a silver lining and what that is is memphis was always going to need a talent infusion in order to make the next step and generally speaking that happens through the draft sometimes with free agency sometimes through other things really good trades it has happened before and with mike conley and and marcus on long-term contracts the expectation was it was going to take a long time for the grizzlies to get that kind of a game-changing talent it is possible more possible this year than i thought it was going to be in the next three that they can get that person and that's the centerpiece of the next great memphis team is whoever if they can hit on that pick if they can get it and they're getting that opportunity without fracturing the locker room without any of this stuff just because they had a lot of bad luck yeah I, I mean what is a lot of bad luck though is it just i mean have they had any real injury problems well, calmly then other than Con- yeah but that's i mean you know that was i guess it's tough for me to say it's bad luck when injury problems that you knew about when they signed the contract then came to actually be an issue you know parsons as well now certainly parsons has been at the lower end in terms of playing it and once again parsons is you know hasn't been playing it at all no real timetable for a return it's said that he doesn't have structural damage in his knee but you know still is not playing he's day to day and has some swelling and soreness in his knee and it just seems like that's going to go on forever surgery required or not um so they've been on the low end of that but when you look at conley everyone knew about his achilles issue when they signed the contract and they didn't have much choice obviously they wanted to just stay good they couldn't bite the bullet but i mean this is going to be one of those things where it's like oh yeah you know we can't rebuild in this market you know we have to stay relevant well you know what like if the lesson has got to be here hey if you feel like there's some pressure to rebuild it's probably because you're not really any good and you're going to have to rebuild sooner or later so you might as well get something but in any event yeah i mean back to the, the silver linings i uh, turned to the negative here uh you know to get dylan brooks uh, as a starter out, out of a second round pick has been solid for them i mean he's not a long-term part of this team but tyreek evans certainly has been an absolute revelation i mean i mean they should at 
least get a second rounder for him if not perhaps more than that but with the fact that they are unwilling to move any of their top two guys who are getting older and that they don't have a ton of financial flexibility you know the creativity to include someone like Evans in a trade is be limited it is and they are going to have to figure out a lot of a lot of pieces on this roster I mean they have so many spots committed to big men that look more like backups rotation players if that but they'll have to figure that out and and they can they have the ability to do that I mean it's it's not oh no if you if Jarrell Martin isn't the guy they can cut him it's not that big a deal if that's the way this goes and they'll have opportunities for guys I think I think that's you know especially if you're on the wing and you're a guy who wants to make good contract if especially if they don't bring back James Ennis that's a pretty good place to be if if money if you can't get more money somewhere else and there isn't going to be much money to go around as we've talked about many times before yeah actually maybe I'm being a little harsh on them in terms of their injury issues because Ben McLemore had that broken foot who knows maybe you just wouldn't have been any good anyway uh but obviously missing the first two months of the season didn't help there and then Wayne Selden basically hasn't played it at all either he was supposed to be their starting two guards so not a, a, a guy who is considered to be like that much of a stalwart for him but certainly someone who could have been in the rotation towards the bottom of the roster we mentioned Kobe Simmons last time uh, he had that really nice game against the Warriors he then played 21 minutes against the Kings the, the following night in a blowout win in Sacramento and then played two and eight minutes the next few nights and then was sent back down to the G League and then uh Ivan Rab their second round pick pretty high second round pick has barely played at all in the NBA but he's been solid enough in the G League uh 23 PR 61 percent true shooting has rebounded quite well and actually is even five of ten on three-pointers small sample size but eight you know I mean making five out of ten three-pointers for basically anyone who's a, a big and learning how to shoot threes is uh, at least uh, a reasonable proposition uh anything else on them or shall we move on let's go to the Dallas Mavericks the Mavericks are 15 and 29 two and four since last 15 16 including an overtime loss to the Lakers over the weekend they are 21st in net rating at negative 1.5 16th in offense 16th in defense which is still surprising to me and to so this is going to be one of the more off the wait so they are 16th in offense and 16th in defense and they're 15 and 20 I'm not yes they are and do you want to know why let's hear it they are 7 and 22 in in games that are decided within five points in the last five minutes they have a negative 28.2 clutch net rating and this leads to what again like we make a lot of predictions and prognostications and people point to them and be like oh like you said this thing and it was stupid this is one of my ideas I think that Dallas could be the surprise team of next season, not because they'll like make the top five or something crazy like that. Just if they go from being beyond awful in crunch time to being passable, because the other parts of this team are good. They can, they offensively, they generally have a get into a good rhythm. I really like the second unit theory. That's not going to change at all. And their talent level, I think is going to increase in future years, just because they're going to add more draft picks. They're going to have a lot of cap space this coming year. And so that's my kind of like file it away. Like, the idea that they could be the six seven or eight seed next year is not implausible at all to me yeah it's interesting to talk about their clutch struggles they have a rookie point guard obviously they also have a player in Dirk Nowitzki who basically can't really be out there in crunch time because he just gets targeted really mercilessly if he's out there just in the flow of the game and you've got some backups out there and you're just you're running your offense but at the end of games teams are just like oh here's a scab let's pick at it and Dirk certainly qualifies at that point so but he still really helps 
their offense and so if you don't have him out there offensively you're going to struggle on offense and then on defense if you have him out there you're not going to be able to stop anyone or you know you just have to not play him in crunch time which is more of what uh, Carlisle has been doing of late uh, you mentioned the theory of their second unit and the two point guards together a lot of times it's Yogi Ferrell and JJ Barea sometimes Barea and Harris sometimes they'll even have Harris playing it at the three uh Barea and Harris have been doing this forever this where Barea will dribble down the right side it's the same thing that Steve Nash and Leandro Barbosa used to do all the time where they'll fake like a pistol action where they hand off to the two coming out of the corner and instead it'll just go back to her and they get like one layup off that per game those guys are, have a great chemistry on that play uh but another part of that unit now fulfilling a role that we've seen a lot of kind of undersized jumping jack type players be successful in as a small ball center has been Dwight Powell and Powell really has broken out that was a contract that we were quite critical of and I think in terms of you know certainly the Dallas system really helps someone like that look good I mean we've seen a lot of guys both the small guards and you know the uh rim running center have a ton of success with that second unit but nonetheless Powell has come through uh despite that four-year 37 million dollar contract probably still being a little bit of an overpay just because when you think of you could probably replace him for a lot less and I'm not sure if on another team he could be as successful but he is a 5.7 net rating which is up from negative 7.2 last year uh they are plus 11.4 points per 100 better when he is on the floor he plays 94 percent of his minutes at center played about 80 percent or so last year so the idea of him as a stretch four it really has kind of been abandoned um and with him at center they have a 110 offensive rating which is like nearly best in the league type of levels the team also shoots 65 percent at the rim with him out there again he's very good at rolling to the rim they have a lot of shooting and ball handling around him and it's not really a lot of times you say oh 110 offensive rating but when he's out there with that second unit they only shoot uh 35 percent from three so it's not really based on just unsustainable three-point shooting um one thing you harp on this a lot i think this is the case as well i mean if you look at the unit they're playing with a lot of times two point guards powell uh, an athletic rim running center they still never get out in transition at, at all even when he's out there and so uh really though it seems like his role offensively has been primarily just finishing around the basket with that good spacing that rick carlo's offense provides. that's also why i think he's still an overpay he's in the perfect situation and i think if yeah. you put him if he gave you a little more defensively sure. i don't think that would be sure the case. but if he gave you a little bit more defensively he might not be a, a, a good second unit center he might be more of like a, a low-end starting center yeah and he's certainly undersized at the center right and and also the idea that he is a wonderful pick and roll finisher this is the part that is so brandon righty about him but he has not ever really developed the pick and pop which would open up even more with not necessarily with their second unit but more if he were ever could use that to help become a starter it could open things up for them and he hasn't really done that at all to this point he's great at what he does and he's not great at what he doesn't do and rick carlisle is so great at maximizing guys with his specific skill set and that's part of why it was so surprising that they paid him as much as they did but they use him really well and so that's okay yeah the spot up jumper is coming along although he doesn't take that many of those and and also as we mentioned doesn't really space out that much but maybe that would indicate that he might be able to shoot three ball in pick and pop but again they have plenty of other guys who can shoot out there with him they need him to put pressure on the rim by rolling and and he's uh, getting a nice chemistry too with his mobility I think that's something that especially as defenses have started getting a little bit more aggressive now uh, against ball handlers who can shoot the three you'll see the center get up within you know what Dylan Murphy has talked about it on the show is an aggressive drop where you get up pretty close to the level of the ball and then once your guy is recovered enough that 
that there isn't a three-point shot available you back up very quickly to get back to your men and so still instead of staying there until a pass is forced but what Powell can do with his mobility is come over there and then as soon as his guy gets up to the level of the screen he can roll right to the rim and you can either uh short the pick and roll in those situations where you throw it to someone else and then throw the lob to him or he can roll into space or he can even just fake setting the screen and just slip it uh, before the contact even occurs and beat his man getting into space at the free throw line as well and, and he's shown some decent ability to make a decision and not just be you know a Serge Ibaka type of liability on those plays in the four on three at the free throw line anything else you want to talk about with them or do you want to move on let's do it the Los Angeles Lakers 15 and 27 four and two since the last 15 and 60 negative three net rating puts them 24th they're 29th in offense 10th in defense and a stat that I pulled I'm not sure if this was before or after that Mavs game was at the oh yeah it was when they had a 106.6 defense rating so they've actually improved a little bit since then they could have an even net rating with the NBA's 17th offense and so that gives you an idea I mean I've said before when they were like sixth in defense that I thought that was a little bit overstated but the idea being that it takes a long way to get from 29th to, to 17th but if they could keep that defense going they could you know you can get to a, a pretty solid place with that and the big question with them is not the shot distribution the shot distribution is okay they're getting 42 percent of their shots at the rim that's very good B- pretty even split between mid-rangers and threes the problem is that they cannot shoot and so the question that i kind of wanted to ask you was how much of that is players that are going to be replaced and how much of that is guys that are sticking around because how you approach those two things are very very different yeah and kuzma has fallen off a, a little bit too he's only shooting 26 percent on threes uh, over his last uh, 10 games he's kind of calming down a little bit i think he's at like 37 percent now uh, from uh, for the season if he's someone who's really was he is he going to be the starter no well okay you know especially with his defense limitations though he actually is getting a block and steal here and there now which he hadn't at all early in the season ingram is a big one too i mean you've pointed out Danny that it's just he's actually shooting an okay percentage from threes but just you know that's because he's only really taking wide open ones now he's not taking the ones off the dribble teams are able to go under on him at this point and so if he's gonna play the three in a lot of these lineups then yeah I think you may have problems because Lonzo you know just the versatility of his jumper I, I he's a long way away from getting to be a huge threat shooting the ball their fours yeah I guess Kuzma is, is a decent shooter but uh they and we thought that Brooke Lopez could really be someone who would help them with his spacing he has not hit the three ball that much and has not been spacing out as much I think as he did in Brooklyn but he's not going to be there either so I mean so who who are we saying as part of their cast here Ingram Lonzo and I would take I would take Kuzma those are probably the only three guys those are the three guys and what's surprising with Kuzma he's such a talented scorer is that he's his true shooting percentage is at 558 right now and you think he's he's fallen off off, and I think he can be better than he has been the last little while but the idea of uh, I, and I love his footwork there there's some really nice building blocks with Kuzma that I do really like but so you kind of think about well where does he fit in the option tree and also something that a lot of those guys except for Ingram could use is getting to the line more I think that's another way that the Lakers sure. could get but you kind of need some spacing in order to, to get that separation because you've run into a crowd it's harder sometimes to get the call and yeah and they don't have the type of offensive players and finishers that a team like the Wolves do where if you just keep banging your head against the wall to try to get to the rim it, it works and the Wolves are you know as you mentioned get to the foul line and this Lakers team really does not particularly Kuzma is another guy I mean he's averaging 1.6 free throw attempts per game over his last 10 games yeah I mean and so for true shooting even if you want to use 60 like because as the kind of barometer for I don't even know if you 
you'd call that good what, what, what would you describe as 60 well so league average right now is 55 56 60 is still okay awesome so me. The, the yeah because the warriors in 2016 set like the all-time record i mean and granted we've been in a higher offense era here but the all-time record for team true shooting was 59 percent as recently as two years ago so i mean even for this team if they can even get up to you know 54 55 percent as a team that would be a massive victory but i mean they've just got a lot of guys who are extremely inefficient on this team right now and i guess just i like the way you framed that question because lot if you're going to play lonzo and ingram out there in your current states you're just not going to have a good shooting team I mean, you would have to have you know playing like channing fry at center or something really to balance that out i mean you're one in your three man if you're going to play ingram at the four and you but they don't have anyone else obviously who can shoot at the two and the three right now kcp's having a really disappointing season from downtown as well uh, although i still maintain that he's been excellent defensively uh you know so they really need and it's been talked about they really need some shooting right now so i, I think that's the problem but one of those two guys either ball or ingram is going to have to be a consistent and higher volume three-point shooter i think for this offense to really get to where it needs to go and then even if they were to get say like a, a lebron or a paul george or a demarcus uh, ingram and lonzo it's got to improve their shooting if those if in fact those guys are still going to be around i'm sure some laker fans will point to lonzo has been shooting a lot better and this is true over the last month or so and i will say that's true and as we as that becomes if that becomes a larger part of the sample oh you mean he's not the worst <laughs> shooter of all time yeah anymore? i think he's at like something like 36 percent over the last month but yeah. the the caution that and this this is something that comes up in a couple places for me always with then this goes with enthusiasm and also with negativity is unless there is a reason to believe that a portion of the sample is incorrect and so an example i've used here is when nicola batum had that elbow thing that he played through and so you go okay he's not if they fix that he's not going to have that anymore like that sort of an issue or markel fultz hopefully with his shoulder oh man yeah the news on that is not it it hasn't we'll talk about that at some point but not not tonight not today but so outside of that you have to think that the whole sample matters and the whole sample counts and so yes as we get to the point where if Lonzo keeps shooting well then that will be better but now you can't throw away the part that was really bad with like oh he's more confident now like something like that it needs to be something structural and something real and he can prove it he has a lifetime to to prove that he can be a reliable shooter and you never set any prognostications yeah. in stone maybe he'll come around by by age 50 or so <laughs> but but it's like but but and i'm not i don't i don't want to shit on lonzo that badly because i, I mean you, you've made the point here that really like everyone else seems to run a lot better when right he's i out mean there. So can i give the ingram stats his own offense yeah is so it's, okay yeah, so this yeah. is i i had this idea with with ingram and actually i don't think we're going to talk about this with mccall i have an overarching theory with patrick mccall but brandon ingram he so what what happens with him is he actually has a higher usage rate when he's playing with lonzo than without lonzo and his efficiency skyrockets well because lonzo is a really good passer he can get him in better places to succeed and also when you look at the shot distribution that ingram has he takes a lot more shots in the restricted area which of course are good and he takes them out of mid-range where he's not good and so you're so you're getting into those elements he's getting the ball in places where he can succeed and theoretically the lakers will be when they have superior talent they will be in a position to better maximize what he can do so that is encouraging and alonzo can help make those guys better but they are going to need talent infusions and all that other kind of stuff as well where are we going next a team that i think a lot of people would be surprised we haven't done yet because they have a couple extra wins the phoenix Suns. the suns are 16 and 28 yeah well, well their loss at home to the pacers oh. today actually counts for three losses. oh my god i i so that was the only game on for a while and 
I, I watched the whole first half and was just sitting there going, oh, like this is, it was rough, but they've had some better games. They, so we're six, they're 16 and 28, two and four since last one of these we did. 29th in net rating, negative seven. 27th in offense, 28th in defense. Yeah, again, that's a horrible team that is getting really lucky right now. 27th and 28th in offense and defense. Again, caveats aside that, of course, you know, those Watson stats in the first three games are still impacting the sample. Amazing. So beyond a, a little quick note that Alex Len is 10th in offensive rebound rate, which is good for him. He's almost 14% that's that's nice and that can be a, a calling card for him especially if he ends up being a second unit center in phoenix or elsewhere the big place that we want to go with this one is catching up with everyone's favorite 70 point scorer devin booker yeah and many people of course the booker stands out there the phoenix fans who insist that their players are awesome especially since they haven't made the playoffs since 2010 uh but a lot of people saying hey booker is so much better how can you rate him so low in the prospects and you know it should be noted that he's made some strides this year to be sure number one there is his three-point percentage nearly at 40 percent now shooting 36 percent on pull-up threes which is not a terrible percentage considering the difficulty of a lot of his attempts i mean that's he takes more pull-up threes than he does catch and shoot threes and he's at 44 percent on the catch and shoots and then the other thing is overall 0.93 points per possession on jumpers off the dribble most of that's in the half court so that's not a bad number really where he's buttering his bread at, at this point and he's at 46 percent uh, from mid-range right now and a 58 percent true shooting which is solidly above league average uh and that 46 percent for mid-range is after he shot 36 percent really for the first or, or i'm sorry 38 percent really for the first couple years of his career so the one and there, he's made some other advancements as well which we'll get to but the one thing that bothers me a little bit about that is it's all really just hitting the jump shot at a higher rate and i need to see a little bit larger of a sample to know that that's true that this is what he's going to be going forward it's a challenge and and he you you want to be optimistic with young guys and and he has a nice shooting form so you sit there and go with that but it is just you just want to get more information before we know and a big part of the challenge with evaluating Devin Booker and this was something that came up when we were doing the prospects thing and it was a a case that I brought up and and it has been a part of why I feel like sometimes I've been too hard on him is he is in such a stark situation because his surrounding talent is so bad and a lot of that is even just the idea of can they convert the passes that he gives them and I don't think of Devin Booker as the greatest shot creator for other people but with better teammates he would probably look a lot better in that part of his game yeah I think he's made strides in passing that's probably the biggest thing you could look at that I'm sure is real as compared to the jump shot which may be real might not be um but guys are just not hitting shots off of his pass right he's had 57 passes to the roll man that's usually pretty good that's a really high play type right you get the roll man it's usually either going to be a an open spot of jumper or you're going right to the rim well their rim runner tyson chandler is not what he used to be uh only 0.86 points per possession worth noting that when he just takes a jumper off the dribble they score better than when he throws it to the roll man uh it's only in the 13th percentile in uh points per possession to the roll man and then when he throws it to a spot up again your average spot up is about a little over one point per possession league-wide only 0.89 points per possession when guys take a spot up uh, out of his passes in the pick and roll and so i mean watching the film of those passes they're good passes you know and this also includes even you know the when his pass to a spot up guy then leads to another spot up outside a pass or two away uh but he's still throwing some really good passes some incisive passes that are getting the defense moving uh i thought that against Houston 
Houston and particularly through some really nice looks to Dragon Bender because the Houston was bringing guys way up to the level of the screen and, and uh, forcing him to give it up early and he did a nice job of that and Bender really kind of flubbed a lot of those plays um so I, I've been impressed with when you see some of the passes that he's been able to throw this year and his assist rate has improved he is averaging 4.7 assists this year up from 3.5 a year ago without really a huge increase in his shot attempts and then you also throw in all the shots that, that his teammates are missing that's probably costing him another assist per game or so uh and then I also have been I guess the other thing that points out is not only do guys not hit shots off of his passes but they never set him up yeah and and that's part of the the challenge with Booker is just figuring out well what is he on a better team and it might just be in certain elements that we have to see it and so it's kind of like can he be a number one option on a better team or how does he look as a secondary you know like can he be a neo Bradley Beal or something like that can he you know is that is that kind of where he can go if he could get a John Wall and I think that his complimentary game is actually like when I watch him I think of him more that way like the idea that oh he could be a much better second option on a good team sure but it's going to be well when is Phoenix going to get that guy what who is it going to be and all that kind of stuff so I'm excited to see what he can do with that but we don't know when that's coming it could be a while yeah and I mentioned you know he shoots this great percentage on catch and shoot threes the 44 percent and on spot ups which obviously by definition you have to throw it to him it could be either shooting a catch and shooter or driving to the rim he only has 65 of those possessions eight percent of his offense are spot ups and this is a guy who's supposed to be an amazing shooter they just don't have anyone else who's driving forcing help and then actually has the vision to find him coming off screens he's been effective as well but again you know the defense can really load to him on those plays so he can't do too much of that and so then it's just a, a lot of pick and roll ball handler 26 percent of his offense iso 12 percent of his offense a lot of stuff where he's just having to create for himself and but one area where he's continued to be effective even going back to when he was a rookie is in the posts 53 points on 50 post-ups which is awesome uh and really a very versatile post game in the sense that he posts up about equally on the left and right block he'll turn either shoulder usually likes to just get to the turnaround jump shot not going to do a ton of power moves uh the only thing that he really isn't as comfortable with in terms of the number of shots that he's taking is if he's on the right block turning left shoulder and that's that's kind of a hard shot for right-handed players because you're shooting it from the right side of your body the backboard can kind of get into play there if you get behind the backboard a a little bit is a harder shot but certainly something that you would love to see them go to more but again you know they have no one else to space out around him or or get him the ball and they confront him and bring help very easily so i think he could be a very effective post-up guard especially if you just run some action to get a smaller player onto him so before we move on here this from our friends at at blue apron my fiance and i don't really have time to go to the store if you do that just to get a recipe i mean you're gonna go pick up like some fresh dill or some cilantro or something you get this huge bunch and you use like one eighth of it and then you're probably not making another recipe with dill that week and it just goes bad and you spend all this time going to get these ingredients specifically for a recipe well what if all those ingredients just showed up at your door pre-portioned so you don't have any food waste that's what blue apron offers you 12 new recipes each week customers can pick two three or four recipes based on what best fits their schedule what we like to do is just get two meals but we get the four person meals so we actually have leftovers so we basically can get four meals but we only have to cook it twice they have a 
team of professional chefs who are putting a lot of care into creating these super easy to follow recipes and the way to get started with them is at blueapron.com slash capspace that will get you $30 off your first order check out this week's menu at blueapron.com slash capspace they're teaming with whole 30 for the next eight weeks or so to bring you some delicious recipes like seared steaks and warm lemon salsa verde with roasted broccoli and sweet potato and chicken and kale orange salad with spicy tahini dressing so one more time just go check out their menu their recipes at blueapron.com slash capspace i think you'll find that your mouth waters and that you'll be signing up blueapron.com slash capspace once again is the url all right so you have the standings in front of you here danny where are we going next the utah jazz who are uh, kind of the borderline between teams that we are confident aren't going to make the playoffs and and teams that have a better shot jazz are 17 and 25 one and four since the last 15 and 60 negative 1.3 net rating puts them 19th 25th in offense 11th in defense and one thing before we kind of get into the meat of this that i just think is interesting is they've only played 51 clutch minutes all season they're six and nine they've had a couple of the biggest blowouts of the entire year including the game where they just absolutely demolished the wizards they actually their only win in this 15 60 was the rematch of that game when apparently scott brooks wrote 47 on the board and that motivated them to get all the way to a three-point loss this time but the jazz are six and nine in those games and one of the disappointing pieces of news is that a player who had been a revelation of sorts just a kind of a key to some of their smaller lineups tabo cephalosha is out for the rest of the season because he has to have surgery on his medial collateral ligament yeah the mcl you don't normally hear about surgery being required there so that probably means a grade three complete tear usually you know blake griffin was a grade two marcus hole in, in past years zach randolph we've seen a lot of guys with grade two mcl tears. jeff teague steph curry of recent vintage had grade one mcl tears. so if surgery is required that probably means it's grade three to my recollection and you know it's going to lead to big time problems you don't hear often about a fully torn mcl like that um interesting you noted the negative 1.3 net rating and that is per uh, our friend ben falk at, at cleaning the glass well utah's overall net rating on the season is uh negative 0.8 and the net rating for tabo cephalosha was basically the best on the team of anyone who has played major minutes for them 4.9 when they were playing their best this season it was when joe johnson was out and they were playing him at the four and rudy gobert was available or, or they're going with Derek favors and cephalosha and putting those lineups out there against second unit so that is going to be a loss catch you up a little bit on donovan mitchell his last 10 games still chugging right along 59 true shooting 27 usage although negative 8 point net 8.8 net rating as they have struggled through a, a brutal stretch they're finally finishing up a, a road trip now but they may be a little bit too far behind now at 17 and 25 to get back into it they may have to hope for some more injuries from the teams above them they've really suffered from the fact that the clippers have had this resurgence but i think the question that i wanted to ask you danny was to take a little bit more of a macro look at these guys because they have a lot of interesting contracts on this team is i want to rank their top three best assets from a contractual standpoint and maybe we'll go a little bit further if that's uninteresting and then their top three worst so i assume number one has got to be donovan mitchell on in the first year of his rookie deal yes sir i mean about three million a year for the next two years after this and then a five million dollar option which they could basically already pick up right now and i mean phenomenal young talent guy that we both ranked in our top 10 so he'd be number one two this is where it gets tough i still think i'd go with gobert i am a believer in his defensive potential a guy who can be that i mean you worry about players his size just whether even though the injury 
he's that he's had this year to me aren't the type of things that you think about recurring it's just guys that big i don't know man i mean he's had if you think about it now now some of these have been impact injuries right but two years ago he 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 was another guy who actually had the grade two mcl then he had the, the issue in the playoffs now he's had two separate injuries again lower body injuries this season i mean it's starting to he had a broken foot uh, before his rookie season as well so it's starting to look like i mean for a guy with at his size i mean he's more lithe than a lot of guys that size but still a pretty big dude i think there is some significant concern for him going forward both in terms of his performance that he can be the same as, as particularly offensively the same offensive player that he was last year but also you know because it always seems like when he comes back from these injuries he it takes him a while to get his bearings again offensively he'll have trouble finishing around the rim and he kind of seems like off balance when he catches the ball down low but may, maybe you're not as concerned as i am but no i, I am i am I concerned to monitor at a minimum i am concerned yeah. but then i so i think the three guy the player who i feel like i'm going to pick for most improved player ever well, well hold on one last thing i can go bear just so people remember he's in the first year right now of a four-year 100 million dollar deal mm-hmm. that he signed as a rookie extension uh, last october and it and it goes it does go up each year it's not it, it doesn't uh yeah. descend which at, in hindsight you know they didn't know then what we know now they would have i'm sure they would have enjoyed but i would probably third it's tough because they they just like i mean they have a bunch of guys on like two-year contracts or those partial guarantees i think i'm gonna go with rodney hood i've i i just i believe he can be a scorer i also think that he is he could be one of the guys that falls through the cracks of restricted free agency this year it's a i think it's reasonably likely just because there's so many two guards and there just are not that many slots so if he you know has a rough year and i mean i think he'll probably do better than taking his qualifying offer but that could be a bit a good number for him still young still talented yeah i guess that's probably got to be it right because i mean who else you know drebko yudo cephalosha cephalosha now is probably looking like he'll be all those guys have july guarantee dates uh for you know relatively small non-guarantees 5.2 for cephalosha 4.2 for drebko 3.4 for yudo um but you're not going to get anything for those guys necessarily and so uh then it really i mean if you're like all right if you had to trade somebody at the deadline who could you get the most for i think the answer probably is a rodney hood a, a question kind of along those lines that i was thinking about but didn't put in the podcast plan was we've discussed the idea that that donovan mitchell his end game is probably as a point guard rubio certainly provides a value on this team especially with exum being out that they just and, and neto has been out for a while too do would it be too early i mean it, it odd it's probably offer dependent but like would you be shopping him would you be listening on him how would you be approaching this not to get on to the the deadline preview we're going to do but i've just i've been really struggling with like how they should approach this it might just be waited out because there isn't a better option you're talking about ricky yeah. rubio now yeah i mean i'm not sure that uh, i'm sure they would love to be able to get the exact same deal that they gave to minnesota this offseason um but you know obviously they're in a different situation there they thought they're gonna have gordon hayward they didn't know that mitchell i'm sure they liked him but they didn't know that he would be this good this fast i'm sure so and there aren't really that many point guard needy teams now i mean when minnesota was trying to trade rubio utah was really kind of the only one that was available and now minnesota had a signing and there just aren't that many teams with the need at point guard this offseason and so many teams drafted a point guard in 2017 so yeah i'm not sure really what is out there for rubio and now you know are you gonna bring with the demise of cephalosha now you kind of just need more smalls in general so yeah i mean i think they just kind of hold on to him he's a valuable player even if there is maybe a conflict you know he'll probably continue to start and then Mitchell will continue to close games and we'll see whether you know if favors 
sticks around when Gobert comes back you know I think the limitations of that favors Gobert and Rubio all starting together has been well documented um really quickly three worst uh, uh contractual assets I think you'd probably start with Alec Burks uh 11 million this year 11.5 million next year yeah I think he's number one just because that's that's a lot of money long term after that I'd be probably Joe Ingles yeah four years um, although you know it's interesting I, I mean it'd be interesting because Ingles at least can help you a ton now you know whereas uh but yeah I think by the end of that deal now thankfully for the Jazz it does decline he's 14 million this year they used his full bird rights and then it goes down all the way to 10 million uh but you know he's going to be a 32 33 year old by then and probably won't be worth that but it won't it's not nearly as uh as unpalatable uh if it started at 10 and went up to 14 you'd be talking about a much bigger and then I'd probably say Joe Johnson is third even though he's an expiring contract just because 10.5 million is a lot for him right now I mean gosh still Dante Exum on this team too no I would actually say Rubio that was the other one I was considering but I but I think like even even if you see him as a backup point guard backup point guard for the right team is still value that's still a value so yeah it's between those two guys I mean once you're already once you're already expiring this year it kind of doesn't matter anymore that's a fair point ready to move on yeah who's next the team that I would argue has had the best go of it of these western conference teams since the last 15 and 60 the Los Angeles Clippers the Clippers are now 500 21 and 21 5 and 2 since the last 15 and 60 even net rating puts them 16th 10th in offense 22nd in defense 69% playoff odds and it should be noted because we're going to be very positive about this that four of their last five wins were against the Kings twice Atlanta and Memphis and the other one was against the Warriors at Oracle without Steph Curry but just to get back into this mix and to get Tay Dosich back to get Blake Griffin back they are in this conversation now and we were wondering if they were going to start fading out of it so that is pretty massive for them yeah I mean you get back to 500 with team you get back to 70 percent playoff odds even net rating considering where they were I mean it really was Lou Williams who kept them afloat you know I mean it, it is very surprising to me that they weren't 10 games below 500 when Blake returned uh and Lou Williams of course I, I want to spend the bulk of this time here discussing just what he did to what's supposed to be a good Warriors defense at Oracle on Thursday when he put up 50 I really enjoyed him shamelessly gunning for 50 even when the game was out of reach he took three three-pointers in the last two minutes in garbage time and finally hit one from like 30 feet he had taken another 30 footer as well he said after the game that like everyone was telling me to shoot it and so I finally I finally did I knew that was it uh, to get to 50 um and I thought it was well deserved because I mean think of all the humiliations that the Warriors have put onto the Clippers that for him to just shamelessly gun for the stats at the end I got no problem with that whatsoever and he played so well in the game he was the reason they won I mean I I that was a game Blake Griffin Tadosich didn't play those guys were came back the next night in Sacramento and Lou the the definitive part of it he had a good first half but the third quarter was just it was masterful it was one of the best single quarters I've seen a, a, a player have offensively in I think it's eight years covering the NBA yeah. NBA yeah NBA season high 27 points yeah. in a quarter eight of 11 from the field eight of eight from the line and he did it from all over he was his only t- or two of his three misses were from three it was three of five though two of three two of two uh, sorry two of three from mid-range one in floater range one of one and then made both of his shots in the restricted area and of course the eight free throws were an important part of that and the Warriors because he was really the guy offensively for them the Warriors really were focusing on him they were throwing traps at him they were throwing doubles at him and he was beating that he was beating what they were throwing at him one of the things he said after the game was that initially in the third quarter uh and he didn't reference Pachulia by name but he said basically 
guys beating the first level of the defense and then pulling up before the second level of the defense and that was Pachulia who was really getting hurt by him in pick and roll and then they tried to go with Jordan Bell he fouled him and got taken out of the game and basically hasn't played since then for the Warriors um but what really has stuck out to me about Lou number one is we thought that he was going to be one of the guys who was really hurt by the crackdown on the BS shooting fouls you know the field contact and throw it up plays that he I think he might have invented that even more than James Harden to some degree especially having to like James would do it when it's like you know there's a handout that would go through the hand but Lou would be the guy with where there's a legal body contact he would throw it up so I thought he might be hurt by that but and he's getting to the foul line a little bit less than he did last year but I've just been amazed at the quickness that he has shown I mean we marveled at that during the Twitter NBA show against OKC and then he ran out of gas and Doc Rivers said hey you know we need to give him some more rest uh but you know when he was in the middle of a 27 point quarter Doc wasn't uh, about to take him out and he, he made he then got to rest another six minutes as uh the Clippers reserves uh, including uh Montrezl Harrell who had played who's played really well this season uh brought a lot of energy with Lou out of the game as they were able to extend that lead out to double digits but uh yeah he just is blowing by guys I mean and, and he really you know a lot of times with Lou previous in his career it's just like all right you know if they had a good defender on him he wouldn't be doing this you know like oh just stop fouling him it's all his little tricks you know like but no he actually looked like very undeniable just blowing past guys creating space like they had absolutely no answers for him in a way that I've and that's what separates this recent stretch for him for me from some of what we've seen before where it's just kind of all right go left and like get fouled as you're floating to the left or you know kind of take some weird shot and bullshit your way to the line and and no it's been he's really looked like a primary offensive option rather than just some bench scoring guy to me in this stretch for the Clippers. it is also strange but that's the nature of the award that this stretch where he's been so huge for the clippers and has started a lot of it will assuming he goes back to the normal role could win him six man of the year like that's just the way <laughs> this works out because nobody cares about that context of it's like it's not how good you are when you're on the bench it's do you qualify and how good are you but he has been spectacular this year and the other guy i did want to talk about a little bit is montrez harrell harrell was big in that warriors win he also had some nice moments in, in their back not back to back but consecutive wins against the kings so he's playing 14 minutes a game you know almost most of it at center for about about four out of five minutes are at center 22 6 per 61.5 true shooting 21.5 usage and so all that's good that's the yeah. impressive part that usage it, it, at that type of true shooting is very surprising it is and his rebound rate is at 14.5 that's probably a little lower than you want i was thinking before that that yeah. he was playing more power forward than center but he's playing more center that's also some of that is definitional because cleaning the glass has him listed as the center when he plays with Willie reed those two guys you know the one yeah yeah but he actually yeah i mean he definitely even then you know he was playing power forward really because they had so many guys right. out for the first time i think really in this most recent stretch here you know he'd been mostly alternating with reed as center reed's actually having a fine box score statistical season as well well um, and then yeah so, so he's been good and also yeah. he's a restricted free agent this summer so one of the I, I he wasn't one of the center pieces of the chris paul trade but i think he's really provided some value to them yeah the only issue for him is protecting the rim and he's not as good of a switch guy as you might expect he's kind of like kenneth farid like in that way sort of a similar player to farid except not the type of defensive rebounder. he's a good offensive rebounder um but yeah let's uh let's move on here we'll try and uh speed things up uh, slightly who is next denver nuggets one game over 522 and 21 three and four since the last 15 and 60 including a couple dispiriting losses but they're still positive net rating plus seven plus point seven sorry not plus seven 12th eighth in offense 18th in defense 75 percent chance of making 
making the playoffs yeah now we we get into the the number eight seed right now uh, the nuggets although again but the pels blazers nuggets and, and clippers i kind of saw the nuggets as a tier above them before the season started and they were until this recent rough patch but pels 22 and 20 clippers 21 and 21 that's your six through nine seeds bracketing there uh nuggets and blazers both 22 and 21 and for denver i want to really just switch gears a little bit here and talk about their off season um just generally because it looks like now with the season that wilson chandler is having that he is more likely to opt in to his about 12 million dollars we kind of assumed that as a guy who's a wing uh who had some combo forward skills that he would likely opt out but now maybe not looking that way for him at age 31 as he struggled a little bit this season and so if he opts in now they are looking at 12 million dollars over the cap oh and that's before you got to pay Nikola Jokic the max most likely uh and so now you're looking at 10 million dollars more than 10 million dollars into the tack uh once you pay him in fact you know if you're going to pay him 25 million you're almost 13 million into the tax and you're going to be paying 24 million so they're not going to let Jokic go they have to decline his team option as we've talked about basically and uh keep him as a restricted free agent because you just you cannot let him get to unrestricted free agency and take the risk that he's going to leave uh so something has to give this offseason what's it going to be it's such a shame that just the nature of 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 all this is that they're going to probably have to get worse because the luxury tax is just not something that they can do yeah it's a it's a it's a yeah i mean now now worth noting chandler Darrell arthur and kenneth Fareed, all guys who probably are way overpaid are guys that you could they could consider just stretching and reducing the value that way i think arthur would be a prime candidate for that and they have enough young guys that maybe you could say hey if we could if we combined Fareed and arthur you know those are guys who could or Fareed at least can play a little bit arthur has had this weird illness thing maybe you could just give up a first round pick and dump Fareed and arthur maybe that would be possible although or you get something back someone who can play as well in that deal and you know take back 10 million in salary when you sent out 20 or something maybe that could be the contract that would be fine and they have enough young guys on this team they could even include wancho theoretically in something like that that would be another another sure. sweetener yeah i mean he hasn't played it all this year and, and trey lyles seems to be the power forward of the future so yeah i i think or at least the backup power forward of the future um i think that the hope is the nuggets can do that as you said without maybe giving up much in terms of contracts but then the elephant in the room in terms of that we've talked about all their financial stuff is will barton i mean barton has been a massive part of what has been good for them this year especially as they're kind of second unit at moments and then sometimes they're starting lineup after Millsap's been out they've needed a little bit more juice and he has provided that and he's an unrestricted free agent this year I, I believe there is an outside shot depending on how their conversations have gone that he could get extended I doubt that just with the specific circumstances but they've needed him this year and it's hard to believe that anybody's going to supplant him next year they might have to replace him though yeah I mean maybe they think that Malik Beasley could step it into that role a little bit you know they've got Jamal Murray they've got Gary Harris those guys could play Harris plays a lot of minutes but maybe they could get Murray to play a little bit more um but no they definitely need what Barton has provided as the scorer uh, off the bench this year and you know Barton I don't think is interested in the extension that is the max they could pay him that four for 42 uh but I think if they offer that he should probably take it I think he's gonna have a rude surprise with how few teams have cap space um but then you know if he leaves and then you trade Chandler then who the hell is playing the three for this team you've got that issue too maybe it has to be Wancho uh or maybe they just go super big with like Lyles and Millsap together or something like I mean but it's not going to be ideal and you're going to be struggling to find a uh somebody in free agency 
contingency there and so maybe if they can clear off some money they could try to use their full mid-level exception to get someone who could be more of a stopgap at, at the three but they are definitely feeling the crunch and while you know at least the good news for them is this is kind of only for one year because you've got the Chandler Arthur and Fareed contracts that come off the books in the summer of 2019 and then Millsap would come off the books as well they have that team option for 30 million which you know they probably will end up declining I, I would imagine and so they actually could project to have some modicum of space in the summer of 2019 you know I'll believe it when I see it to see these guys pay significant tax even if they have saved a ton of money over the years I mean you know there's in having some discussions with their organization they pointed this out to me and indicated oh it would only be one year paying the tax and you know I think they I'm still consider me a skeptic you know I mean that's something that they might just be saying because they don't want teams to feel like hey we've really got you over a barrel when they're trying to shed salary we can move to another team that is dealing with the present issue of some small forward stuff the portland trailblazers they're 22 and 21 three and four since the last 15 and 60 including that loss today to minnesota slight positive net rating 0.3 15th in the league 20th in offense seventh in defense and a 55 percent chance of making the playoffs it's and it's kind of it's kind of interesting how like we're just kind of i feel like we're getting to the point where this is just kind of like what portland is for right now um yeah i mean you mean the exact same thing that they've been for the last three years what well i mean the the offensive the shots Uh, or even slightly worse i guess you could yeah i mean just like around the eighth seed well i you know no i'm sorry that's not fair i I, sorry to interrupt you but i i I need to interrupt myself because obviously the way they're doing it is different they deserve a lot yeah they deserve a lot of credit for getting the defense to be as good as it's been and you know the offense has taken a step back course so one thing i wanted to talk about a little bit and it has been you know a challenge as they've chosen largely to go big despite having some capable ball handlers though not that many you know they have they have guys that are really good but then they don't have really the ancillary guys the portland trailblazers do not run they are 29th in transition frequency and 28th in terms of the proportion of their possessions that are in the half court which is 83.2 percent and dallas is dallas is at the bottom at 85 percent and then the warriors take a almost 10% more of their shots in transition and generally speaking transition is more effective than half court offense yeah I mean when you think about it you know what's the difference in like points plus per game between like the worst and best team in the NBA in terms of transition I'm gonna get it actually I got it right here get ready to be horrified by Dallas's (laughs) (laughs) yeah they they are they gain only 0.9 points per game by running whereas Indiana and Golden State are, are at the top that's amazing that indiana is that high they have crazy efficiency in transition which has got to come down to some degree although not if they get to play the suns every night uh so 4.5 for indiana and golden state some of the best offenses as well houston is up there denver is up there as well but uh so i mean when you could consider that like just out of transition i'm sorry that's not per game that's per 100 possessions. so just out of transition you can go from a distance in terms of offensive rating that would take you basically from like average to near the top of the league just by running and so obviously uh portland more effective at running uh but still never do it and and when you even consider the combination of their effectiveness and their running you know they're 21st in the nba right now in terms of what they're doing in transition unsurprisingly the blazers are a very frequent team with shooters out of the pick and roll 21.6 percent of their possessions end in that sort of a way and when you have damian lillard that makes sense lillard has the strongest points per possession of any of the high usage guys guys in this circumstance at a little bit over one per and I mean he's such a wonderful shooter off the dribble that it's 
not a surprise. So you can kind of take that both ways. I mean, they're better at that shot, I think, than than most teams are. But they're actually second. But generally speaking, there are better shots and worse shots that you can get. And so I, I kind of feel like that's a part of it is that they're relying a little bit on something that they're good at, but there are other ways to generate offense. Uh, before we finish up with them, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Alfred Camino and how he's played. Basically, most of his value this year tied up in his three-point shooting. He had a nice three-point shooting year in his first year as a Blazer in 2014-15, regressed quite a bit last year, but at 39% on threes. And, and it's been more aggressive taking them, shooting them with a little bit more versatility lately. He's played 94% of his minutes at, at power forward. My preferred starting lineup for them with Harkless and Aminu together, probably not quite my preferred starting lineup. I mean, I just, I, I can't bring myself to say it should be Evan Turner though, but uh, Turner is probably actually shooting the ball better than Harkless is at, at this point, although I think Harkless is as good or better than Turner defensively. Anyway, but that that used to be like an awesome lineup, even though that, that starting lineup still is uh, at plus 2.1 with Aminu and Harkless together and, and the rest of their normal starters. One of the things that, for Aminu though is that he's strictly operating as a spot-up guy. His driving ability is really one of the worst guys who's like, you know, kind of nominally has some wing skills in terms of driving off a spot-up. Like, he might lead the NBA. I mean, I have no way of checking this, but he might lead the NBA in travels off of a shot fake where he lifts his pivot foot before putting the ball down to dribble or he'll get into traffic and turn it over he's really inefficient he'll also take some long twos off the dribble four of 19 on long twos this season a lot of those are, are off of closeouts uh but still playing some solid defense of course and gives them some versatility at the four and really he's their only as close as it gets to a guy who's switchable kind of a stretch for it basically all of their other lineups involve two traditional bigs playing together it seems like this year anything else on them or do you want to move on let's do it the team that's at the top of this cluster the new orleans pelicans 22 and 24 and 2 since the last 15 16 including their overtime win against the knicks today plus 1.5 net rating is ninth seventh in offense 21st in defense 75 percent chance of making the playoffs and i mean i think the place that we kind of have to start with this is anthony davis dropping 48 on the knicks today in that overtime win and scoring in a variety of ways and in a game that it sounded like to me from what gentry said after the game that he didn't think davis was right he was just you know he's healthy enough to play and kick ass that's surprising to hear because and i guess he was only 7 of 12 at the rim although obviously porzingis who was guarding was a tough guy to score over at the rim noteworthy too i mean he had a 48 point game and zero assists he definitely is uh the matchup between he and porzingis was uh definitely not uh you know two of the better scoring worst passing players in nba history uh in terms of the their usage to assist ratio but nonetheless it was an awesome game by ad shot seven out of ten on mid-rangers and got up six three-point attempts as well and i thought what was most impressive was just he really because you remember the whole story with him right was like oh he was a guard at perspectives charter high school in chicago which is not a basketball power i think they were like seven and 15 his senior year like even with him <laughs> uh but he was a guard and then he he grew and so he's supposed to have all these guard skills we didn't really see as much of that early just in terms of doing stuff off the dribble he's much more of a pick and pop player you know one of the best pick and roll players of all time really at this point can get to the rim as well nice touch around the basket but now he's actually started to do more off the dribble more at the face-up game we've seen step backs he was able to get the advantage on Porzingis then they put Kyle Quinn on him for a while they tried Lance Thomas for a little bit uh you know he had plays where he was bringing the ball up and then crossing over he had a step back to his right really doing some really nice stuff uh, off the dribble um had a, an awesome buzzer beating 
game three in the waning minutes he uh in overtime he hit this ridiculous right shoulder fadeaway on the baseline over Kristaps Porzingis um they tied up the game late in regulation with a 5-4 pick and roll uh and AD had an amazing finish over Porzingis on that play DeMarcus threw a a beautiful lob to Porzingis so you know I, I think the combination of DeMarcus and AD has worked very well like that hasn't been the problem in New Orleans this year and those guys have certainly pushed them quite a bit um do anything you want to say about that game at all not particularly I but I think that something we've been seeing overall which was a factor in that game is just the idea that their reliance on the Rondo inclusion in the starting lineup is <laughs> a little bit misguided and they should be trying other guys and we have somebody that we're advocating for to be in that spot yeah certainly no panacea uh, because New Orleans is just contractually prohibited they uh, and Oklahoma City until they uh got Paul George but just from having an adequate uh three and D three men but Darius Miller just shooting an absolutely scorching percentage from downtown from the corners he is 24 out of 36 on the season well over 50 percent from the corners he shoots, I think no is that right no I'm sorry 22 out of 36 on the season but still pretty darn good um and then on on mid-rangers scorching as well uh, two-point jump shots 19 out of 36 53 percent there and then above the break threes has been very solid also at 40 percent um but one of the things that sticks out uh, you mentioned i didn't uh discuss or you may have noticed i didn't mention his uh shooting at the rim well he doesn't take very many shots there does he yeah i i would say five for the season is not very many <laughs> <laughs> and that's really incredible because you think a guy with his type of shooting gravity could at least like you know when they're trying to topside him coming off a screen you know uh get back door but he really is very limited athletically um you know he doesn't have a ton of quickness coming off of screens now he's been successful kind of more in short areas where he can take two or three steps and come off a screen and, and shoot but he doesn't get much rise on his jump shot and then he doesn't really have the athleticism to get going really fast and then stop on a dime and pull up the way some of the best three-point shooters can you know when you see them run they'll run a floppy set for him every once in a while and he'll sprint from one side of the court to the other and he seems to be a little bit out of control it's hard for him to stop and rise up whereas you know if he's just like standing at the elbow and then he gets a screen to pop out to the three-point line he's much more comfortable with that more comfortable on a dho where he's not moving quite as fast and he can at least on a dho if the guy is trailing him use the screen well take a dribble in and shoot that incredibly accurate mid-ranger um and then defensively limited athletically as we mentioned rpm is not good negative 1.91 which is uh pretty miserable uh, but i still uh that's uh higher is position i think than uh rondo and obviously is miller's offense is more impactful than rondo's because of the spacing he provides so I, I still would be starting him you know just to get a normal sized guy out there he's certainly miscast as a stopper but just the spacing that he provides makes it really difficult to deal with this team I mean, if you look at holiday or who shoots it well from three-point range and Miller uh and Holiday was awesome against the Knicks who hit 31 points and some big clutch possessions um you're talking about a very difficult to stop offensive team whereas Rondo you know gives you a little bit of a hiding place there I think we can move on to the team that is the next kind of, oh sure oh one more thing they're they're signing uh right. Mike James to a two-way uh in New Orleans which uh I don't really see a ton of the fit there to be honest um I think they have plenty of guys who can create a shot and many who can do 
so much more efficiently than him. And at 27, I don't know if you're really talking about kind of developing him necessarily. So I, I, that one doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But, you know, the, he's a guy who's not terrible and can be on a two-way. So maybe they, they feel like they can get something out of him. And it's not like they have a G League team either. So the, this is a, a mark of separation, maybe, but not really in terms of record because the Oklahoma City Thunder are only 23-20. and 20. They are 3-3 three and three since the last 15-60. and 60. Plus 2.9 net rating is 8th, so they're still strong there. 12th in offense, 4th in defense. And one place to start is that they played seven games without Andre Robertson. And their overall defensive rating for the year is 105. They are 109-2 over those seven games. They have really missed him on that end. And their offense has been better, unsurprisingly. But overall, I would say they've been a more beatable team. And this has led to a lot of discussion that, oh man, Robertson, like now you, you don't even know how valuable he is until he's gone. And now they can't defend anyone and see see like we were wrong to say that he you know was a liability in the playoffs and he's a really important player for them and you know what it's true that he's a really important player for them but it's more because they don't have anyone behind him who's an adequate option than that he himself is so awesome i I think he's an excellent defensive player obviously but just you know he takes nearly as much away on offense so that's really more the issue i mean they've had terrence ferguson out there uh he is a negative 2.2 net rating over his last seven games and you know that's pretty bad because he's been starting and they have a pretty good starting lineup for ferguson very much the markers of a support player 54 percent of his possessions come from spotting up uh takes some threes in transition uh doesn't really hit that many I mean, he's only got 14 shots at the rim all season and he's five of 24 on above the break threes and really and only eight out of 24 in the corners you know he did have that big game against the lakers but i think when he had six threes uh but that means that he's only made seven i think he was six out of nine in that game and he's 13 out of 48 on the year so in all other games uh he's been really awful at least he's seven out of nine on long twos so i think his jumper will come around eventually but you know he's a still basically a teenage if not you know or a 20 year old rookie and i like his defense he gives effort he's got those short quick choppy feet he tries to get into guys but the strength and the communication and execution are still a big issue he's not ready to be a rotation player on a quality team yet but they are very limited in terms of other options at point point. and sure it's disappointing i guess a little bit that that he can't be better but that's what young rookies are you know young rookies take time to learn the league they need to get a lot stronger so i i think that he can be a part of what they're doing eventually but just not right now and i agree yeah i think yeah, he's gonna I, I like it eventually but one of the other big differences for why the thunder have you know of only three games over 500 is that they went from having a plus 20 net rating in clutch situations and a being 10 games over 500 to being two games under 500 Th- this is yeah, last year you mean two games under 500 with a negative 11 net rating this year and we argued and i think that was of a, a good argument that russell westbrook's massive performance in clutch circumstances was a, a meaningful part of his value that it was value added however that was never value added that was necessarily that predictive of future success or future role and so he went from last year a 62.3 percent usage in close situations which is just insane and 56.9 true shooting which is great for that kind of usage to 45 7 so that's a drop of almost 20 percent and a true shooting drop from 56 9 to 42 5 so that i would say you know it's too far you know the pendulum has gone too far the other way but they needed him to be a superhuman last year he was a superhuman last year this year he's been he's gotten better over the course of the season overall but that hasn't been able to propel them in the same way and that was something that i always i always thought was going to be a weakness and 
they just haven't integrated the talent well enough to make that not matter as much because they've been in more clutch games yeah and if we were going to make his positive clutch impact last year on such a, a high usage a big part of the argument for why he could be mvp and you know obviously this is was splitting hairs last year you know to even get to that granular of a level you know it was a very close race and that's why we did a whole podcast on it but if you want to say well why wasn't he on any of my all nba teams well you know 42 percent true shooting but taking 46 percent of the shots in the clutch now you're really damaging your team in the clutch and that's something that has to be a part of the analysis as well one other little data point that i wanted to mention is it's always hard with oklahoma city because of how they stagger their guys to really do a proxy for the starters with and without robertson but the one that i did is just using westbrook so with robertson on the floor they are 11 almost 12 points per 100 better defensively and about five points worse defensively and to me that's a little bit extreme and the the minute proportion is actually getting pretty close to even as he's missed all these games but it's not heinously off when you consider just that you're getting this kind of idle spacing with somebody like Ferguson and you're losing somebody who just provides so much defensive value because it allows all of the other guys more flexibility and you know it's less weight on Westbrook and on Mello even though the surrounding players are largely the same well and also consider too that if you're using Westbrook as a proxy for the start as it and I know you know this but it, it's inexact to where you know at the end of the first quarter the units that they play will basically be Westbrook and you know four guys who yep. can't do anything <laughs> so you know it'll be Grant and Hustis and Patrick Patterson and you know maybe if Westbrook is lucky Donovan will throw a Brinus out there too as a guy who can at least make a shot with that group so I think that's a, a part of it as well um really quickly here what do you think what type of pace are they going to win at for the rest of the year if they're 23 and 20 right now what like the pace of a blank win team are, are they going to win at for the rest of high the year? 40s 47 something in that range seems seems right to me too uh okay so now let's see we did minnesota so that takes us to san antonio yeah it takes us right? san antonio and minnesota is close behind them if we were doing this in order we'd be talking about how minnesota i think they're one game behind the spurs right now and they're they're really nipping at their heels san antonio 29 and 15 four and three yeah and by the way minnesota uh better fundamentals than the san antonio mm-hmm. spurs as well though obviously with the time Kawhi leonard has missed uh not perhaps indicative of how they'll play but and danny before. green and a lot of the other i mean they've been missing they're missing guys sure. but so uh sure. their plus three three net rating is six is sixth in the league 14th in offense second in defense which is still so amazing to me when you consider who's been out and uh, yeah with no Kawhi, that's that's and yeah and danny green missing time too and, and it's and playing as big as they do but they've been able to use that in the positive way and that's actually kind of a part of where i wanted to go with this is that wait so hold on before before you get into that it, um just in a macro sense who was their over under was it like 55 this year like because I, I think our best bet was the I over i think it was right? i think it was 52 For, actually here i mean no i don't think it was that let me look it up hold on one second 54 and a half and, and you and i both had their over as a best bet well correct me if i'm wrong but aren't they basically on pace to go over even with Kawhi basically not having played the entire season they're like pretty close to it right i mean they've had as bad of injury luck as possibly could have been expected and i think they're still like pretty close to going over and you would imagine if Kawhi is healthy the rest of the year that they will anyway so that that's why we thought i, I mean it, it could we could end up losing this because somebody gets injured or whatever but i mean yeah betting against the spurs in the regular season seems like yeah a, a they're, they're, they're playing at a 54 win pace right yeah. now and a big part of that yeah. also is that they've been just killers in clutch situations they're 13 and 5 in games that are within five points with five minutes to go plus 33 9 clutch net rating which is just appalling and when you consider who's missing that's even more impressive because you think about like the low the low side for 
their offense, ha- you know, hasn't really been yeah. there. And they do out-execute everybody, and they get into all these circumstances. And one of the things that's just been fascinating with them is is the story about that Greg Popovich revealed. I think he just got asked about it, and him talking about Lamarcus Aldridge asking for a trade, or maybe not asking for a trade, but expecting a trade, and his response to it. Yeah, Popovich, uh, and this had come out a little bit earlier in, in a local story, but Pop had never been on the record about it. He acknowledged. Pop said that Lamarcus said, "quote I want to be traded," and Pop's response was that no one has ever said that to me before. Uh, and that Lamarcus said, as Pop paraphrased, "I'm not enjoying this. I'm not confident. I'm not sure you want me here. I, I want to be traded." And that apparently occurred after the season. And so Pop said, "Hey, you know what? Like, we're not going to get for you talent-wise what we would want if we trade you. So let's figure it out." Uh, and Pop said, "quote As discussions went on, it became apparent to me that it really was me." He's been playing the league for nine years. I'm not going to turn him into some other player. I could do some things defensively or rebounding wise, but on offense, I was going to move him everywhere. That was just silly on my part. Total overcoaching. So we took care of it and he's been fantastic. So numbers wise, what is Pop taking care of it meant? I mean, I think it's a lot of a lot of Lamarcus Aldridge posting up and the Spurs do the most post ups in the league. <laughs> they are at 12.1% of their possessions that way. And Lamarcus Aldridge alone, 8.8 post ups per game, which is second in the the NBA behind Joella beads almost 11 which is amazing and nobody else but other than those two guys is over seven a game Dwight's at six nine which is just a massive mistake yeah 0.77 points per possession by the way for Dwight LaMarcus is at 0.94 which is uh obviously outstanding when you consider that uh, most post-ups uh, take place in the half court probably all of LaMarcus's post-ups I would imagine and so not only is he taking more posting up more than he has in prior years he's also or he's been more effective this year than last year which I think is interesting and I think it's more just incorporating it and making it a part of what they do as opposed to just kind of being what LaMarcus wanted to do I think do you agree with me that that's kind of been an element of this yeah I think so and then also you know obviously the fact that Kawhi has been out and even I think also that Tony Parker was out for a large part of the season where you know they would try to run a lot more pick and roll with Parker when he was in the game a lot more DHO stuff instead of just hey dump it down and Mills has played more Bryn Forbes has played more so They've gotten more shooting around LaMarcus than I think they had at times last year. Uh, Pau Gasol and LaMarcus have gotten a nice high-low chemistry as well. I mean, part of LaMarcus posting up has been Gasol not posting up and playing more out of the high post when those guys have been together. And then LaMarcus has also played more center and they've had some some more minutes with, uh, you know, he's not playing any minutes with like a Dwayne Dedman type this year. You know, it's usually if he's playing the five, the four will be someone who's going to space out or at least, you know, be more mobile in the case of Kyle Anderson uh you know instead of just kind of he can at least stand outside of you know five feet away from the basket uh so yeah I think that's helped him a little bit but and then just numerically he already has 368 post-ups this year compared to 415 all last year 41 percent of his offense coming by a post-up this year compared to 33 percent last year and basically everything else uh, is down quite a bit with his off-ball stuff last year spotted up 16 percent of the time that's down a 9.2 percent of the time or 9.4 percent of the time this year uh and then pretty much any dependence scoring category is where those post-ups are, are being taken out of and so we'll see i mean he's obviously been more effective in post-ups this year we'll see whether in fact this keeps up with Kawhi leonard back because as well as he himself has been scoring he doesn't really get to the basket force a ton of help and then you know get his teammates working i mean they're only 14th in offense this year and so i still think having it in Kawhi's hands it makes more sense but we'll see 
what uh Aldridge has obviously been awesome this year he was my first team all NBA center we'll just see how he meshes now that Kawhi is trying to in his words string some games together uh should we move on to Houston let's do it the Rockets are 30 and 11 4 and 2 since the last 15 and 60 second in net rating plus 8.9 first in offense 12th in defense and they're going to be getting some much needed reinforcements ah much needed strong but getting Luke back I think is really going to help their defense just because they've they've been needing a little bit more forward depth and he he can do that Tarek Black also because their center rotation they've been dealing with different guys with with maladies and then also James Harden could return as soon as Thursday we'll see we'll see when he actually gets back hamstrings you want to be exceedingly judicious we've talked about this so many times so I would be hamstrings and calves so so going through all that and what struck me as just an interesting point of thinking about the the Rockets this year and this can be phrased in a negative way but I don't want to do that they because it's also different on both sides of the ball so they are isolating more than any other team in the league 12.8 percent of their possessions is is there and they're also the best isolation team in the league partially because James Harden has been an absolute demon 1.15 points per possession and to give you an idea of how much better that is than anybody else the last two seasons no one's been over a point per possession and they're at 1.15 which is that's a huge huge difference I mean you think about a point a 0.15 difference in anything in terms of effectiveness is big and when you're the most isolation heavy team in the league you do that and then quickly on the other side of the ball they're also the team that is most isolated against the most and on that end they're benefiting because generally those are less effective shots and so they they switch a lot and they force teams into those circumstances like a lot of these good switch heavy defenses do and they so they reap the benefits on one side and then reap the benefits of their superlative talent on the other yeah and so part of why i think it's so high is because there's two guys who do basically all of the isolating and that's harden and chris paul starting with harden isolations isolating for 31 percent of his possessions a lot of pick and roll switches is usually what causes that uh 42 percent of his isos come from pick and roll switches this actually seems like a, a lower number than you would think but you know a lot of times they'll just throw it to him at the end of the clock and there isn't time to run a pick and roll and get the switch uh and i think one thing that's underrated you know we talk about just their amazing shooting and part of that is just unsustainable off the dribble three-point shooting from harden i mean there's basically he's having one of maybe the two or three best ever three-point shooting seasons off the dribble and the other ones belong to Steph Curry uh and Harden is Harden has not shown this ability as a three-point shooter before um so I'm a little bit more skeptical of it than I am with Curry who you know had shown this ability for multiple seasons but an underrated aspect of why these isolations work so well is the personnel that's around them I mean they space everyone out to the three-point line they've got guys like Gordon and Anderson who even though neither of those guys is shooting an amazing percentage you know Ryan Anderson you're never going to leave him open and those guys are spaced out you know between you know 26 and 28 feet from the basket so it's just so hard to get help over to Harden uh, they take a ton of threes so even the guys who are not great three-point shooters they take enough of them that you just kind of you feel like all right we can't leave these guys open everybody has the green light and then they always have you know a real good finisher waiting around in the dunker spot as well so in like Capella that they can set up and so it's just so hard to bring help the other thing that really makes Harden so good is his ability to drive out of isolations right like that's the theory is oh yeah like if you're isolating you're settling for some step back you're against the big or you know he lays off you and you take a contested jumper and it's not going to be a good shot well Harden actually drives 57 percent of the time when he isolates uh, and then he shoots this amazing percentage on his jump shots out of isolation but that's because it's the threat of the drive and he really is effective going to either hand driving as well from the top he'll go to either 
either hand equally a little bit better with the jump shot when he goes to his right as you know going towards your offhand is just easier mechanically to shoot a jump shot for nearly all players although he certainly can make the step back going to his left as a shot that he really worked on so that's just what makes him so difficult and when you consider his strength i mean i think he likes being matched up against you know we mentioned that the isos are only uh only 42 percent of them come off of switches he doesn't mind being matched up against someone in his size because all he has to do is just get a little bit of a shoulder past someone and he can fake the step back and do that he's so strong guys are also so scared of following him and he'll accentuate any contact that does occur and you can't reach in on him either that he's really able to get to the basket you know all as well if not better against guys his size than he can against a bigger guy and it really is one of the most fantastic seasons that we've seen we should appreciate it now even while acknowledging that you know it's not going to continue to quite this degree. and one other thing i want to mention you, you got at this a little bit but it's so hard to recover on harden because of how good he is at knowing where other people are because if you're trying to get back on him he can he can draw the foul that way too so if he gets that separation yeah he'll keep guys yeah, he'll on just back. He'll, that's yeah what, that's yeah he'll mean, just right? kill yeah. you once he gets that initial advantage and we should mention just a little bit about chris paul something that i i've really appreciated is that he he has been effective especially when he's been attack, attacking off a switch as well would not surprising because he's such a good handle and he can knows how to knows how to get spacing but the rockets so he's passed out of uh, 23 times they passed he's passed it to a shooter on a spot up situation out of an isolation on those 23 passes they have 40 points that is absolutely incredible yeah and that's some of those are when they he makes the right. initial pass and they ping it around but yeah i mean and you know that's only 23 shots so they're getting lucky hitting some threes but they're definitely getting open ones and certainly in that game against the lakers uh, paul was awesome at, down the end he's had uh 25 of his possessions now in isolation uh and 59 percent of his isos come off of the pick and roll switch uh so that's a, a little bit more he's not really looking to do that immediately you know it's more a product of them switching and and being in a late clock situation so but he's up eight percent of his possessions more are isos this year than last year uh he was still a great points possession last year 1.09 uh but now uh he's up to an even higher number and then off the switch in particular 1.2 points per possession which is uh you know again just completely insane i still question whether houston is going to be able to play like this game after game after game against san antonio against golden state with the multiple great defenders that they have and being able to be more locked in on what houston is trying to do and not having a ton of variation in their offense but uh certainly right now it has been absolutely unstoppable so let's do uh golden state 35 and 9 6 and 1 although certainly a desultory loss that one loss at at home to the Clippers without Blake Griffin and uh, a a host of others Steph Curry didn't play in that one and neither did Clay 10.1 net rating yes oh that's true yeah that that is worth noting as well uh and that certainly exposed again the lack of shooting outside of Katie Clay and Steph that we've been harping on all year as a potential vulnerability for the team but still 10.1 net rating they have the second ranked offense at 114.9 which is pretty good considering how much time Curry has missed uh he returned it uh against Toronto in a wild game that we'll talk about in a second and then uh the third ranked defense after uh, a few defensive meltdowns lately yeah I mean the Toronto game was wild offensively they were just unloading in the first half I think they ended it was was it 81 they, it was some something in that range uh yeah 81 points a very popular number against the Toronto Raptors in a uh, crazy <laughs> offense and it was also game. not the only time they've they dropped 84 on the Raptors back in 2011 I, I had remembered I'd remember that it was kind of in the back of my mind and then I looked it up at halftime of that game and then they blew the lead I mean Toronto there was a parade to the free throw line most of 
it earned by Toronto just being super aggressive and the Warriors committing a bunch of fouls. Zaza Pachulia committed four fouls in four minutes, which led to them being in the bonus the entire time. And then at the end, I thought something that was interesting was that Curry seemed a little bit tentative on his shot. He was the first game back from a from a sprained ankle. Was also, I thought they were defending him pretty well. So Well, and Curry also said something about that ankle. He said, it's sore, but I can play on it, and hopefully it'll continue to get better, which was, that was a little weird to me. I didn't, like, if it's still sore, like, why is he coming back? They have, like, a massive lead right now for the number one seed. Right, and so they did a couple of interesting things at the end of that game. One was they finally went back to what Marcus Thompson wrote a piece calling it the Novocaine of of the Curry Durant pick and rolls. And generally speaking, it worked well. There were a couple plays where it was awkward, where just it seemed like they just don't have enough reps. It was more that issue to me than anything structurally wrong with it, because it just creates so much panic in the defense. And that ended up yielding one of the, I think the best one of the best things it yielded was the Kevin Durant shot that ended up winning the Warriors the game, which was a mid-ranger when Pascal Siakam was not exactly sure what to do. He Durant got enough space and just hit the game winner. Yeah, and a few things in that pick and roll. Andre Guadala had a strained hip flex or missed the second half that I thought they really missed him in their closing lineup they had to go with Kavon Looney and then David West and neither of those guys looked quite ready for the athleticism and intensity that that great uh, Raptors bench unit was bringing uh, and a lot of those guys ended up closing the game they went without Valanciunas and Ibaka at the end but even without that shooting I mean if you can just get Kevin Durant just on an ISO at the free throw line against a smaller player or just a, on a pick and pop from 18 feet I mean that's still a pretty money shot at the end of the game it's really really difficult to bring adequate help to that even if you do have some other non-shooters on the floor to to go help to a space 19 feet away from the basket in the middle of the floor is difficult i I will push back a little bit uh because they do have a play that they run quite a bit where kd and someone else will set a screen for curry uh and then kd will kind of pop down it usually is a play to get kd an iso and hopefully a, a switch so it's not the pure curry durant pick and roll but they do at least involve someone else i think Curry just feels kind of better about that and then uh so they they will run that one you know probably three or four times a game oftentimes out of timeouts um so it's something that we do see through the course of the game but uh you know not certainly hey we're gonna run this over and over again with these two guys like it only the way it was down the end and Kerr, i thought had some good quotes about why they don't do that more which is basically hey you can't do that all game every game you got to involve everyone else in the action and obviously the when they they put up those 81 points without Curry or even KD doing all that much because they had like 22 assists and one turnover in that first half and they're just getting all kinds of great back cuts and all their usual beautiful game type of stuff yeah I mean so they're they're well positioned moving forward a couple I mean they have that big game on Saturday I mean of course the the Martin Luther King Day game against Cleveland but then also on Saturday they play Houston we don't know if Harden's going to be there and while it doesn't look like it's going to be coming down to that that game will decide the tiebreaker between these two teams which you know it could matter for home court all right that'll do it for today don't forget about our sponsors uh, hymns for hymns.com slash cap space for uh men's health uh, for an actual doctor uh, and then blue apron blue apron.com slash cap space gets you 30 dollars off uh, your first meal uh, package and don't forget about the tour nba show tomorrow eight o'clock eastern five pacific and also a special guest uh, on this very podcast tomorrow as well talk to y'all then